The human desire to experience union with others is one of the strongest motivators of human behavior. It manifests itself in the lowest kind of behavior, i.e. in acts of sadism and destruction, as well as in the highest, solidarity on the basis of an ideal or conviction. It is also the main cause of the need to adapt. Human beings are more afraid of being outcasts than even of dying. Crucial to every society is the kind of union and solidarity it fosters, and the kind it can further under the given conditions of its socio-economic structure. These considerations seem to indicate that both tendencies are present in human beings. The one, to have, to possess, that owes its strength in the last analysis to the biological factor of the desire for survival. The other, to be, to share, to give, to sacrifice, that owes its strength to the specific conditions of human existence and the inherent need to overcome one's isolation by oneness with others. From these two contradictory strivings in every human being, it follows that the social structure, its values and norms, decides which of the two becomes dominant. Cultures that foster the greed for possession and thus the having mode of existence are rooted in one human potential. Cultures that foster being and sharing are rooted in the other potential. We must decide which of these two potentials we want to cultivate, realizing, however, that our decision is largely determined by the socio-economic structure of a given society that inclines us toward one or the other. Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. I'm Sonia Larea. And we are excited to be coming at you guys for episode eight, episode eight in the house. Yay, episode eight. Wow. <laughs> Can't believe we're already at episode eight, but hey. That's yep. how it goes, man. That's how it goes. Well, uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, we're glad to have you for episode eight. Sonia, what's up? Ch- Chica, how have you been? Um, good. I guess uh, I was going to say I'm actually, even though people can't see me, I'm wearing a sweatshirt because it's fall weather. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Isn't it that a nice refreshing change? Yes. Yeah, it feels good since we do spend some time outdoors there. It's nice to have a uh, the breeze and not be so hot. (laughs) It was a very humid summer here in Atlanta. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was a little surprised when the cool weather came because normally we don't see it yet in September. That's true. That's true. It seems kind of early. It's uh, yeah. Yeah. It was surprising to wake up and go outside and be like, Whoa, I need a little sweater. (laughs) Yeah. It's weird to be walking around Piedmont park and people are like wearing long sleeves and like, wait a minute. Thought oh, it was no. oh no it's actually and it it was the official first day of fall recently it was it was the first day of autumn yes. and that yes. was so that's mm-hmm. very um timely with the weather too yeah so it's time to get ready for sweatshirts hoodies some of mm-hmm. my favorite things again long pants and maybe like you know campfires and you know and, and like hot cocoa or tea or something <laughs> Yeah, some people market by like the pumpkin spice latte and <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's I don't. That's are you 
Are you into that thing, the pumpkin spice thing? No, I mean, you know how they always have the specialty things, like you're saying, and I think I've tried it, but it's kind of not my thing. I just stick with the things I like. Yeah. And I know what you like. You have your coffee, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> my go-to, and you got your couple of go-tos. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. For sure. That's one thing that will change, though. A lot of people will go from cold coffee to hot coffee. They always That's ask true. me, do you want it hot or cold? I'm like, I drink my coffee hot. People. <laughs> <laughs> me too. I did. Yeah. Even if it's uh, a warm day, I do hot. You're right. Yes, yes me Absolutely. too. Absolutely. So, yeah. so how have you been? What's been going on with you? Good. Very good. Um, just really excited. Recently, I started playing soccer again. Yay! Yay! I was so happy about that. So it felt good to be back. I played on um, Wednesday of this week and we ended up tying. So that was not fun. But I played the whole second half and I played well. And everybody was like, Lacey, we didn't even know you skipped a beat. You weren't even gone. So I'm like, well, thank That's you. That's awesome. Yeah. And you weren't, you weren't nervous? I meant to ask you because of your um, wrist. Right. I really was. I wore my brace when I played. Okay. Okay. I was actually much more nervous than I thought I would be. But after like the first 10 minutes of the game, I really calmed down. And it just comes back naturally, you know, like right, right. You're doing your whole life, you know. Right. Um, like, well, we would be remiss in not saying two things that I wanted to say today. One is, since it is fall and we're getting close to November, I just mm -hmm. want to tell everybody to get out there and vote. Yes. Um, super important. We all have that right living in a democracy. So just go vote, people. Whatever yeah. you got to do, absentee ballot, early vote, just go do it. Mm -hmm. so I'm putting in my plug for that. Um, this, yeah. The second thing. That was pretty huge, um, very huge. In fact, today they were doing, I think the funeral was today for RBG, Ruth Bader mm -hmm. Ginsburg, who is Supreme Court Justice, um, passed away at 87. I, you know, Lacey and I were talking about her. I know about her because I watched the documentary, uh, Notorious. I can't tell you all the details, of course, of her life, but I can tell you she was a powerhouse. She was for rights for men and women. She improved our lives dramatically. So if you don't know her legacy, look her up, but it's a big loss for us. So um, may she rest in peace. Absolutely. Thank you to RBG for everything that she did and may she rest in peace. Um, and we send a lot of love and support to her family and all of us right now as we're mourning her loss. So Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as we transition from that, what we want to go into now is talk about the being mode of existence. This is what is the being mode of existence part two. Um, part one, we dove into what is the being mode versus the having mode or what is being when you contrast it with having. Mm -hmm. In this episode and in the second part of this chapter, um, we talk about and we, and we read about the being mode as it contrasts to appearing and what that means. So, you know, what's your first thought that comes to mind, Sonia, whenever whenever I present it like that, like being versus appearing, kind of what comes to your mind? Well, what comes to your mind is how one um, acts, like the mask that we wear, mm. um, that's when you when I when you say it that way. That's what I think of. Yeah, appearing yeah. as opposed to being. Um, and I want to also tell everyone this is like the such an awesome part of this chapter. This is the best. We love it. Yeah, you yeah. know, I I was telling Sonia earlier today that 
I really think this is like the pinnacle of maybe even the whole book, but mm-hmm. certainly the argument for, um, you know, the being mode of existence. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a crescendo. So um, we both were very super excited about this particular episode. Um, and, and looking at being in this way, I think really pulls back the curtain to a place where we can certainly like very clearly understand why it's important mm-hmm. and why it makes such an impact on our society and how we live, which mode we operate out of. So he presents it as being as unmasking, kind of as you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. And as you guys are listening, you can kind of imagine what that might mean, what a mask does you know it's hiding something that's Mm -hmm. not really the genuine true self and uh so what he talks about is uh, as a result of this there's a discrepancy between your behavior and your character Character. Mm -hmm. right so uh so it's like what you're appearing to be versus what you really are Absolutely. Yeah. It's my overt behavior is in drastic contradiction with my character. Yes. And we, we actually talked about that today of trying to come up with examples mm-hmm. to, to tell people of examples of how that's, you know, played out day to day life. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that we all struggle with, not only on a societal level, but even on a personal level and a relational level with people. A good example of this, I think, would be in the embodiment of like a, your typical politician that you hate, like the one who, <laughs> you know, says, "I want to run for this position and be in government to serve you, and serve the community." But in reality, he's like, "I want the power. I want the money. I want the access to fill in the blank that comes with this." Yeah, I think um, most people can relate to that because that politician is there's a self-interest. Right. right? And so that's an excellent example. Yeah. I mean, clearly, like the reason they're doing it is different inside than the reason they're presenting that they're doing it. Maybe another example would be someone who marries someone that they don't actually love for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, from them. Yeah, Yeah. Whatever the reason is. No, those are both so good, Lacey. I think everyone listening can relate to those. Well, we talked, I thought actually your example today we were talking is really excellent, which is definitely mm-hmm. someone's nature. Um, it's as simple as, I think we've all can relate to this as say dating someone or being in, maybe it isn't even a date or just have some form of relationship. And the person says, hey, do you want to go out for Chinese food? And you don't want to, but you say, sure. Mm-hmm. And why is that? If you pull that back it's because we don't we want to be loved and we want to go along with the person and we feel that external need to you know the approval you can also talk about male male, female relationships but at the end of the day we are denying our true self because we're just agreeing to something that we really don't want to do right right and and the example continues in that you say, yes, you want to go have Chinese, but you really don't. You go to the Chinese restaurant and <laughs> you don't eat anything or right. eat like two bites of your food because and why? Now you have to lie, right? right. Why you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I really didn't want to have Chinese food, but I didn't say it. But my behavior is showing that 
I actually really didn't want to have Chinese. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, there's a lot more uh, different ways that it shows up as well. Um, but it, that's a good example of it. He says, my behavior is different than my character, my character structure, which is the true motivation of my behavior. That's what constitutes my real being. And he says, my behavior may partially reflect my being, but is usually a mask that I have and that I wear for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, Interesting because this goes deeper down into the surface of kind of who who someone is instead of kind of uh, what what some of the things that they say um, are or things that they might do. So, for example, he also says, if I appear to be kind while my kindness is only a mask to cover my exploitativeness, Mm -hmm. if I appear to be courageous while I'm extremely vain or perhaps suicidal, if I appear to love my country while I am furthering my selfish interests, that is in drastic contrast with the reality of who I am, what I'm doing in those cases. Right, right. No, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's excellent. Um, yeah, he actually goes, and I think you're going to get to it, he goes into uh, the discrepancy between behavior and character. between my mask and reality and the reality it hides and he gets into Freud, which I think you're going to talk about, right? Yes. Yes. So I think this is super interesting because what he, he talks about like the whole point of Freud um, was to, to reveal the unconscious, everything Mm -hmm. right. Was to say, Hey, there is this unconscious motivation behind what's going on that you may not may or may not be aware of. And, uh, you know, this is just another confirmation that this theme is true, that, you know, your behavior can be completely different than your character. And beyond that, that like, you know, this is much more psychological than, you know, we've normally spoken. But like you could even go to say that Skinner and behaviorism is really very much a just surface level, if not you know, argue, arguably like not that great of a solution because if mm-hmm. you're only dealing with the surface behavior, right, really, right. the person isn't changing as a whole. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he talks about, which is super, very interesting is the knowing, like when we, we actually, we meet someone and we know that, that we are being maybe exploded or we can't trust. So we have that, we have the knowledge within us, but we repress that knowledge, which is interesting because if it were conscious, it would make our life too difficult or too dangerous. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like why the question would be, well, why do we repress, you know, mm-hmm. that the knowledge? But mm-hmm. I would say we repress it because, you know, it's kind of rocking the boat, right? If you have to call someone out or you see something that, wow, now I'm seeing the true nature of this person. Right. And obviously we have relationships, whether it's family or friends, and we are worried about challenging those relationships. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, and this is something he says, uh, but it it puts our tribe, our tribal acceptance into mm-hmm. question, which is one of the deepest fears of man he mentions in this chapter. And so it's very hard for us <laughs> to face these challenges to to uh, face the discrepancies 
head on because that means that we have to take this risk where we might be outcasts. Yes. Lose. We might be isolated. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he, he also says that, Hey, like you would imagine that people who were normal and socially adapted, Mm -hmm. um, they would not be in need of like a, an analysis in a deep way, like a psychological analysis. But the reality is, is that um, our conscious is mixed with so many different things. It has this blend of false information. It has biases and and irrational passions and rationalization, Mm -hmm. prejudices, and then some truth. There's just some truth that floats around in there. Uh, And that little bit of truth makes us think that it's all true. And, Mm -hmm. And that's not true. But the reality is, is that our conscious is really... Um, it's it's tainted and it's not always leading us in the right direction because of the influence from culture, from biases, from, mm-hmm. you know, rationalizations and prejudices. But then we repress uh, the, re- the knowledge of the reality and that's mm-hmm. the unconscious. And the reason we do that is because based on everything that's going around on around us in culture, we, if we were to admit that truth, it would make it so inconvenient for us. It would make yeah. it very difficult. It would make life life difficult. Exactly. Yeah. So what we do is we repress. What's repressed is the knowledge of reality, the knowledge of what is true. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying before, is we that level of consciousness is the map that we're using for organizing our life. Right. <laughs> but that's Which, where that discrepancy, and we talked about this a couple of days ago, and you said that's the that discrepancy is exactly where we get all these. Anxious, multiple personality disorder, (laughs) because we have to hide these things. Right. And we can't let what naturally happens for us as human beings, which is we can recognize truth. We know when we meet somebody who who's, you know, a tricker, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. manipulator or someone who's got negative intentions. But by our gut, we know when we meet somebody good. But sometimes we, uh, you know, repress that because of whatever the outside pressures in our society are in order for us to keep going. And that part. Yeah. yeah. And and I love what he says. He says a great deal of our energy is used to hide mm. from ourselves what we know. And the degree yeah. of such repressed knowledge can hardly be overestimated. Mm. that's huge, which is what we're saying right now, what you're saying right. about all these things that come out because of that repression. Yeah. yeah. And, and what kind of mental health issues we see that the extent of that, the depth of that, uh, the number of those cases are probably insane, insanely numbered because we're like just repressing the reality of the truth in our unconscious. And it's causing us this anxiety. Yeah, and um, Lacey and I always talk about this, how we like to look back at other civilizations. Yes. He does refer to how the ancestors were aware of their knowledge, but we repress ours. That's really interesting. Yeah. They, they live more with, with the truth, you know, what they were experiencing where we, we don't live that way. We're not, we're not, he talks about this, that we're not like one with nature. I think that's huge mm-hmm. too. That is a big part of it. But let's let's like see if we can dissect that a little bit. I wonder why these other civilizations, they were able to 
Why can't we? What do you think it is? Well, I would say one is industrialization. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the profit, you know, profit being like a religion, making right. the money, which we always go back to that. So there's right. a whole, we've, we're very disconnected. Yeah. We're very disconnected from nature and from, you know, just the cosmos from the world. So when you do that, you can go into this denial of what the repression where you're mm-hmm. not living really a reality. Yeah. It's inconvenient to be honest. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's inconvenient. So sad to say, but it's very inconvenient to be a human being in <laughs> in this society and the socioeconomic structure that we have here, typically in the mm-hmm. West. I mean, I'll give a, an example, a personal example. I mean, let's say that uh, earlier this year, whenever I was sick post campaign, if mm-hmm. I was supposed to be working, I would have been screwed. I would have been completely screwed. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because I had either lingering symptoms from COVID, which put me in a place of extreme fatigue, or I had walking pneumonia, whatever, regardless, mm-hmm. there was no, I would not have been able to work at that point in time. And the way that we do society is like, oh, you're sick. Oh, too bad. The machine still has to run. You don't yeah, have time. You got a day to take off, but we'll see right. you tomorrow. You know? Right. Or, or let's take this a little bit further towards something that's not as concrete. Let's say uh, someone is raped or suffers a abuse within their family, a sexual abuse of some sort, mm-hmm. some type of emotional wound. You can't see that no. physically. And we don't validate that. We don't validate it. And so if it was like, yo, I need a couple of days to process, or maybe you just wake up feeling like shit and you don't know why, but you could probably, you know, with some time and whatever, you could probably point to some type of emotional loss in your life. It's not like you can be like, hey, uh, sorry, I lost my grandma or whatever it is. I need some time to like, that's not valid at all. No. Yeah. And you're right. So we're not, we're, we're not in a world, at least our world that allows you to, to live in the way that we're wanting to live in the being mode. It's not. And, and, and we know this, you learn it from a young age and you learn it from society and from all the actions you have, you know, school and jobs. So you kind of know what the rules are. Right. Mm -hmm. And you got to play by those rules if you're going to like survive. (laughs) Right. Right. And the the sad part is that we suffer in the process, you know? Right. right. You know, so, wow. I hear you. I hear you. Well, um, so the other part he talks about is how uh, that although we repress this knowledge, it actually still finds its way to the surface. And that happens in slips of the tongue, in um, awkward expressions, or like maybe looking at somebody funny Mm-hmm. Or like checking out state of a trance, he calls it. Um, whenever people say something that's kind of like a side, or yeah. that's like the opposite of what they actually say that they believe, you know, like I love you, but then I cuss you out, you know, every yeah. <laughs> and I and I think a common one people sometimes do with humor is like I'm just kidding, but you mm. know, there's like some reality there, like they're yeah. like oh. I'm, I'm really mad at you, but I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think maybe you are mad, you know, but right. you're not telling me. Yeah, exactly. The digging. I mean, yeah. I've, I've certainly done it. Actually, I, I thought of a good example for this. Um, 
or along these lines, there was a guy that I dated one time um, who told me, this is so funny. He actually was having some type of a surgery. I can't remember. This was years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, we had newly started dating. And so he told me he was having the surgery and he said, hey, like, um, you know, I'm having surgery. How do you feel about being there? And he said, my family's going to be there. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about being at the hospital? And I was like, I'm not comfortable with that because I'm not ready to meet your family and, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And um, I said, I'm just being honest with you. And he goes, okay, yeah, not, not a problem. And then later on, after he had the surgery, he was like, I'm just so mad at you and hurt. And he's like, because I just figured if you really loved me, you would show would up. Sure. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, dude, whoa. This but he is- didn't say that. <laughs> no, it, why didn't you just tell me that? <laughs> you know yeah. Like that's yeah. Yeah, that's a good, good example. Yeah, Yeah, no, like it, sort of like it. So a better example of like in slips of the tongue would have been like if we would have stayed together and I I would have been like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so in love with you or whatever. And he's like, yeah, right. If you were in love with me, you would have showed up or something, you know, (laughs) that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're making light of it here, but I think it really happens. Oh, it happens a lot. Of course. And the hard part about it is it really takes really effective communication to mm-hmm. avoid that. Now, I'm not saying that's impossible. It's certainly not impossible. No. But I'm saying it takes time to learn how to communicate effectively to each other. And I, 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 I say, let's do it 100%. But I also say, as a society, let's make some fucking room. Yeah, because we learn don't have that. Yeah. Between the dog and the house yeah. and the job and the bills and the, uh, you know, whatever comes up and everything, y'all, you name it, y'all know, I don't have to go into it. When yeah. the heck are you going to have time to, to learn that? Right. Or the money to invest to see a therapist to help you learn that. And right. then you're like, I don't want the stigma of that. And then it's There's just so much. Yeah. It's a mess. It's well, a mess. what I would say too, on top of the, and you kind of touched on it right now on top of the communication is that a person needs to have the self-awareness and to be able to even have the conversation, right. And to get the self-awareness many times therapy is needed or some kind of um, situation where you can learn about yourself, where you can grow. Right. And we don't have that, unfortunately. So a lot of people suffer. Well, and it just comes right back to this conversation that we're having because why? Because we have been taught to repress. We've Mm -hmm. been taught to repress that, the truth. And so that's, that, that part is, that's hard. Oh Um, yeah. That's super hard. Hmm. So let's see, where are we now, Lacey? Uh, The will to give, share and sacrifice. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. Um, what this, this part of this chapter that is so cool. And I think I could really relate to it, uh, also in our world today is he talks about how we have a deeply, re- deeply, excuse me, rooted desire to be related to others, to escape the prison cell of selfishness. I mm-hmm. love that That's because I, I think, yeah, the innate human being, you know, we've talked about this before and we'll get into it about community and all, we really have a need to connect. And there's a lot of evidence he points to that. He points to evidence um, about being, you know, learning in a more interested environment. They'll say, like, a lot of times when you're in school, say, the material that's being presented to you, 
can be boring, but he says if they present it in an interesting way, yeah. you know, people get excited about it. There's um, evidence with infants he talks about responding to complicated stimuli. There's the other evidence of workers. Mm -hmm. that if you have them actively engaged, even if it's a rote kind of, you know, job, if they feel responsible, they're mm -hmm. more enthusiastic. So the yeah. idea is that when human beings, I think, know they're, they're, when there's this connection, as he's saying, then you, you lose that selfishness that human beings aren't typically, you have the having mode, which he discusses about being like, because we need to survive, but the being right. mode is there and that needs to be nurtured. And he talks yeah. he goes way into a lot of uh, details with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is really good and it's true. I was a, a teacher for several years um, and it, it, you know, when the material is presented in a more alive way or, or let's say it this way, a less like dry, dead mm -hmm. way, mm -hmm. the kids are going to be able to come alive in a whole nother way and really relate to the information and actually learn from it. Um, when it becomes more experiential, i.e. in the being mode of existence, that's when it's going to be something that, you know, uh, kids are going to engage with and really learn from. You know, I think what's interesting about this is he's showing that we really do have the will to give and to share mm -hmm. and to sacrifice. But right. again, just like this whole chapter is saying, uh, and, and really the, the crescendo of the chapter says is like our society isn't formulated in a way that that advocates that. Right. Um, I thought it was really interesting. It's actually in the beginning and I'm going to go back to it. He talks about the dogma, which I should think you've heard of before where people are supposedly lazy and passive and they don't want to work unless they're incentivized. But he right. talks about it. The reason that that dogma exists, it's an expression of the wish to prove the value of our social arrangements. Yeah. Um, and so obviously we need that dogma to continue doing living the way we're all living. Right. But it's really false because what he talks about is that we have the having and the being modes are both potentialities of human nature. Right. That, yeah. That it, it's deeply rooted, as I said earlier, that we want to be uh, related to others and we yeah. want to be giving to others. Yes, we we want that and we can foster it um, if we build a society that that enables it, that encourages it. Um, or we cannot if we if we don't. Yeah, I, I think um, the other part that he talks about, and I'm sure most of our listeners would think about an example during the World Wars. He talks about World War II when um, Churchill, I think, uh, had to demand more from the British. And mm -hmm. he said, like, he appeals to their human desire to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And you think about that, and I have read other books um, where it talks about people come together in these times. Of yeah. struggle. Right. Uh, and what Fromm says, he highlights here, he said it's a sad commentary on our civilization that we need that for, you know, that we can't come together during peaceful times. Yeah. And obviously, when peace comes and money and, you know, people get busy with their lives, and you know, I don't need to go out there and be become more busy. self, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and the right. problem, too, is, of course, the societal structure that we live in that we keep referring to here. We don't we don't have a society that rewards you for 
uh, sacrificing and helping, especially if you're not getting paid, as we well know. Right. He yeah. also in this section, he also points to certain people in history who grew up maybe in very um, privileged positions and right. Right. were not fulfilled by it and mm -hmm. walked away from those lifestyles of, you know, luxury and ease and uh, and lived in a way that was very different than that, in which they needed to make sacrifices. They helped each other. They were, you know, they shared amongst others, even if it wasn't nearly as comfortable of a lifestyle as they had grown up in. And the Buddha is actually one of those examples. Yes, he talks about that. He talks about um, the sons and daughters of the Roman Empire. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about also the Russian upper class, that their sons and daughters go out into the, uh, they, into the, with the poor peasants and they lay the foundations for the revolutionary struggle in Russia. I thought that was interesting when he got into that because one of the things that Fromm is against, which I actually agree with him on, is the acts of terror and destruction. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of those um, moments where the you have the unity of, say, a group of people, that can also turn into a fanaticism that he talks about. Right. Which, which I agree that, that the benefit of that coming together is, is actually the giving and you know the supporting of a different way of life but i think that also comes to the fact is you need an environment that's going to allow you to do that right yeah like what we were saying we don't live in that type of environment um you need the social structures that would support that right and you know uh the, so he talks about how the the folks who were rich in the roman empire the children of the rich in the roman empire mm -hmm. they rebelled against Right. What they felt was like a dead and isolated life. And, that you know, their parents were like, oh, they have everything that they want, but they really didn't. And that is evidenced by the fact that they left, you know, they left. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. Know, went I mean, I think it's I think it always goes back to the human um, desire to experience union with others. Yes. Like, like the yes. he's referring to and we can see that that can come, that can be a negative or that can be a positive. Obviously we know the negative is like destruction and the positive would be solidarity, you know, the mm -hmm. rallying around an ideal or yeah. a conviction. Um, yeah. Because the one thing, I don't know if you said it earlier today, but he, it's, it's so incredible. It's the main cause of the need to adapt is that human beings are more afraid of being outcast than even of dying. Yes. That's huge. Yes. And then he, he goes into um, what is the intro uh, section. The intro to our podcast today was me reading this section mm -hmm. of, of the chapter. But he talks about how um, what's crucial to the society is the kind of union, the kind of community, the kind of solidarity that it brings about and the kind that it can. And that Yes, we have the tendency as human beings to go to the having mode or the being mode in mm -hmm. one form or the other. Um, and we have a choice as to whether we're going to choose which one. Uh, and we can make that on a personal level, but mm -hmm. there's only so far that making that choice go. on a personal level can take mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. If as on a societal level, we've basically chosen 
to go towards the other direction. Exactly. And so I think, you know, what I feel like is the big crescendo here is, hey, guys, uh, we have a choice to make mm-hmm. as a society. Which direction do we want to take? Uh, take ourselves, take humanity. Do we want to go in the direction where we propagate and we prop up and we promote the selfishness and the, the you know, competition and, you know, and control and being better and being, you know, I have more than you have, or do we want to go to the, like the humane, the humane innate uh, nature that we have also to share, to give, to sacrifice. What, how are we going to build our society to, right. to um, push one way or the other more forward? That's very good. Yeah. I know he, he, I love the fact yeah, that he does the, he talks about the to have and he mm-hmm. talks about the to be, because as you said, they're both tendency that, that exists in the human being. But mm-hmm. as you're saying, we have to go with those two. We have to decide what our social structures, the values and the norms of that is going to be what is really influencing us. And if the values and the norms are achieving and acquiring, well, we we know it's going to be the to have mode. Right. And we need a culture that's not going to foster greed and possession and that way of life. Yeah, and I think some people might be thinking, well, are you saying we can't have capitalism? Definitely not. I'm not saying that. Now, uh, I am saying that there could be other models that could work. I don't know of, but there are some minor tweaks we could make to capitalism that would accommodate the the being mode of existence much better. Um, That's one of the reasons why I like Andrew Yang so much. Yeah, and I think this is the deal is that that we support – um, in this kind of world where it is acquiring and having, we actually actually think that being selfish is good in a weird way. We don't yeah. necessarily verbally say that, but people that are being selfish and getting ahead and, you know, sort of the dog eat dog world, yeah. it's, it's, it's rewarded is what I'm saying. That is correct. Yes. And, and we don't support um, the being mode of the giving and the sharing. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't have the structure to, to support that, then it's going to be harder for those individuals to flourish mm-hmm. in an environment that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, we, the, the problem is that then you have to adapt to this having mode in order not to be an outcast of society. So it's, it contradicts everything that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of ties your hands a little bit that you aren't, there's only a, a, a certain extent of being that you can achieve because of the system demands that you are yeah. functioning in a certain way. Yeah. You have to acquire, you have to have profit. You have to, you need certain things in this world to actually even to live. Right. So I don't, I think there, I think there's going to be, I believe that we're going to have to do some radical changes. And I, I don't know that we'll see them in our lifetime, but I think mm-hmm. this time period in our lives, we're, we're kind of moving towards something different and hopefully it's going to be better. <laughs> well, hopefully COVID has done uh, us a service in that, in giving us an opportunity to rethink that. We've mentioned that. I think the, the thing that I pull from this is that, you know, on, like on a short term action point, actions mm-hmm 
level, what can we do? The first thing we can do is start researching ways that we can incentivize uh, our human nature in our society. How can we change the values? How can we change the way things are set up in our society right now to start to incentivize or to encourage the being mode of existence? Why? Because we're all going to be happier. We're all going to be healthier Mm -hmm. do it and when we do it. And some people might say, well, we don't know what the model is. We don't know how to change our society to function in that way. You're right. We don't. That's why we need to think about it. Just because we don't know now doesn't mean we can't know in the future. And there are bright minds, as we mentioned in our social dilemma discussion, Mm -hmm. the brightest minds in the world right now are figuring out how to take advantage of me and you and get us to stay on the phone for a long time so we can make a bunch of money. Why don't we get those people over to a place where they're thinking about ways that we can further the being mode of existence, a healthy human uh, society where we're connecting on a natural human level face to face and growing in ways that we as human beings really need and want to grow. I would say too, that people can do very simple, small things. You can be kind. You can speak to someone like in your community. You could say hello to the whoever, you know, the gardener or the the person that's serving you. I just think there's really tiny things that we can look at doing. Even um, I know volunteering is, you know, some people do it a lot. Some people don't have time. I think even if you can do an hour Mm-hmm. of giving your time to something maybe it's uh something with the animal shelter it doesn't i'm not saying it has to be everybody's going to do the same it could be very, right. something very simple yeah. and i think you have to have all these little things happening to sort of like a pond you know where it starts to grow those circles where mm. then the reality of how we are living becomes more norm than out of the ordinary yeah you know, then everyone's kind of hopefully you getting a larger group of people on the same page. Yes. And then I think those are awesome suggestions. And then I think for those who have the resources, I think being willing to go deeper into knowing who they are. Oh yeah. That's a big one. That's what he says. uh, He says that the, let me see if I can find this. Okay. This is it. He says the way to being is penetration through the service and insight into reality it Mm -hmm. the insight increasing the sector of being means increased insight into the reality of oneself of others in the world around us so if we're willing and able if we want to make progress in this direction uh, and have the resources for it don't be afraid to to learn more about who you are to garner self-awareness to meditate to see a therapist to you know learn about certain things about yourself when you notice that you get frustrated or irritated about something sit with that try to learn from it and learn from who your friends and family are around you of ways that you know who you are and how how you can grow and and you know what they know what do people notice about you i mean this is a big obviously it's a big <laughs> ask it's not, it's not <laughs> right. some of these things but it, it's going to bring about a much better quality of life for everybody involved. Right. And I think one of the things um, that Frome always speaks to is love. 
he talks about, which I love this uh, quote, is uh, genuine love increases the capacity to love and to give to others. The true lover loves the whole world um, in his or her love. And going back to your uh, statement of the self-actualization, I think that love also has to start for yourself, for oneself. Yeah. And there's where you're going with learn about yourself, um, right. grow within yourself. And then that you can express and you can put out there in the world. It's, and there you are giving and you're in that being mode. Yes. And I mean, it's hard to love yourself if you don't yes. know yourself. Exactly. And versa, you know, and so it's a process and it's a beautiful process. And it's, I think, you know, from is, is quoted as saying like the, task of man is to give birth to himself that mm -hmm. the process of giving birth to yourself it's knowing yourself it's loving yourself and then seeing that play out how that positively affects the world around you the people around you in your life that's a quality right. life and and i want to do a disclaimer and you know when people hear this you know like kind of the pop psychology oh just love yourself i know that's not easy i know it's hard work i know like uh, Lacey's mentioned, you know, therapy and whatever one needs to do. But mm -hmm. that's the first step, I think, towards going yes. out in the world. 100%. 100%. And, uh, you know, we're all human beings raised by human beings. So nobody had a perfect <laughs> childhood. No. <laughs> we all have, have things that were not easy to deal with. And that can have an effect on us into our lives as adults. And so we're only empowering ourselves to have a greater, more enriched life if we're willing to see what those things are. So we would definitely encourage you to do that. And um, yeah. Oh, for sure. That's it. Uh, we have a... a uh, and out the clip that we have going out is the very end of this chapter. So I hope you guys enjoy that. And um, that's, that's our episode for today, guys. Sonia, anything else you would add? No, I just, um, if you haven't read it, read to have or to be. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. We are about halfway through. So we have, um, you know, more to go, but this was one of our favorites for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Loved it. sum up, the frequency and intensity of the desire to share, to give, and to sacrifice are not surprising if we consider the conditions of existence of the human species. What is surprising is that this need could be so repressed as to make acts of selfishness the rule in industrial and many other societies, and acts of solidarity the exception. But paradoxically, this very phenomenon is caused by the need for union. A society whose principles are acquisition, profit, and property produces a social character oriented around having. And once the dominant pattern is established, nobody wants to be an outsider, or indeed an outcast. In order to avoid the risk, everybody adapts to the majority, who have in common only their mutual antagonism. Only a radically different socioeconomic structure and a radically different picture of human nature could show that bribery is not the only way or the best way to influence people.